Hello, everyone. This is Molly from the Casually Molly Podcast, and I just wanted to introduce you to my friends at the Natty Cat. This one is for you cool cats and kittens who can't get enough of wordplay and fur babies. The Natty Cat's natural soy candles feature inventive scent combinations and glass jars with clever kitties on the labels. Hand purred with locally sourced natural soy wax, the Natty Cat's candles woodwicks create a cozy fireside crackling sound, perfect for curling up on the couch. Remember, for all of your candle and scented oil needs, please visit our friends at the Natty Cat either on Facebook or Instagram. Have you ever wanted to get your shit together? Scrap it, look through the lens and capture it. But first world problems are getting you down. Disabled, salty, need an app to fix that frown. <laughs> well, you can do all those things and so much more. Just grab a seat in the chair or the floor. Sit back, relax, recline. Well, she drops another casual line. You're tuned into Casually Molly with Molly Ambergie. Welcome to the Casually Molly podcast. I am your host, Molly Ambergie. Remember that you can casually subscribe, review wherever you stream audio and on YouTube. Um, we always have a fun guest every week. And the fun guest I chose this week, and he graciously came on, Give it up for LA-based comedian Jay Light. You can just hear the audience rolling right now. Man, <laughs> so loud. Ah, oh, standing ovation already. We just started. Thanks. Oh, I'm so flattered. He is. Uh, I am. Like I told him earlier, I was like, I'm really impressed. You uh, you moved to a new place. You told me, which is kind of exciting. So mm-hmm. how did? So you said you're kind of you know working on popcorn ceilings, getting situated. Tell us about, you know, what's going on in L.A. right now. We're in St. Louis, you know, we're in the pandemic. So some things are kind of open, some things aren't. What's Mm -hmm. happening on the West Coast? What can you inform us on? So, (laughs) um, well, we are not only during uh, doing a pandemic, we're also on fire. So, geez, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, I moved. So I, I used to live for pretty much the entire time I've lived in LA, almost eight years, I lived in like Hollywood, West Hollywood-ish. So center of the city. No, but like there were always, you hear about the fire because the fires always are happening here in LA, but you're never close to them. And then my girlfriend and I just moved to this new neighborhood, uh, Highland Park. And this, one of the fires that broke out like a week ago or two weeks ago is right over the hill from us. So we got here, we are like, this place is great. It's big. It's got a backyard. We'll be able to hang out outside. And then it's like, as soon as we moved here, fire burst out. You know, you can't go outside because the air quality is hazardous to breathe. So we've been inside repainting and remodeling and uh, doing the work from home thing. Oh, my gosh. Well, see, I, I totally and like, I don't mean to be sounded sensitive. I totally forgot about the wildfires. And I was... Um, I saw some pictures because I have a couple of friends who were out in LA and it was like 1042 in the morning and the sky was just yellow. Like it was, Mm -hmm. it looked like something like at first I was like, Oh, is this like some kind of filter? And my friend Andy was like, Nope, this is a, this is just what it's like right now. This is my life. I was like, stay inside, stay safe. 
for multiple reasons. I don't even know. Like, it's just what a crazy, I mean, like just another, I'm sure like a lot of podcasts talk about this, but I'm like, just like another thing to add to 2020. But uh, I know there's so much, I mean, there's been so much going on, but I mean, the fires have started to get contained. Okay. It's safe to go outside again, at least, you know, and I'm already used to wearing masks as it is. So it's not like that changed a whole lot. (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> well, if if any time to have a wildfire outbreak, it's while there's also a pandemic that makes you have to wear masks when you go outside. So it's for- like, cool, I'm protected anyway. <laughs> no sweat. It's a two-in-one deal here. You're just like, mm-hmm. I'm prepared. I got this. I don't need to be Sandra Bullock out of the bird box. This is going to be great. Right. Exactly. Uh, but uh, how to, I was about to say, how we met. I was like, excuse me, I can't not talk today. So Jay... Remind me how you ended up actually in St. Louis, because I am curious, and then I'll explain how we met. (laughs) I was, well, I had been asked to do a college um, in Joplin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Southern Missouri State, I think. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was, you know, it was on a Wednesday or a Tuesday, so I was like, well, I'm not just going to fly to Missouri and then just fly back home. I've, I've never been in that part of the, the US. I have friends and comics who I know who are in the sort of region around Missouri and I'm sure I can probably book a little mini tour. So I hit up everybody I knew seeing about doing shows in, uh, in that area. And St. Louis, of course, was the first place I went to as soon as I got done with Joplin because it's in the same state. Right. <laughs> Good geography. We got this. <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, but it was great because you and I were on a show together at what's literally, as I was saying earlier, underneath where we record the podcast called Sophie's Cocktail Lounge. And Chris Denman, who we were talking about too earlier, he hosts a show called The Happiest Happy Hour, where he brings in comedians both out of town as well local. And then Jack Daniel sponsors it. So Jay and I happened to like meet on the same show. So I didn't know who he was. And I really, really thought you were hysterical. And my friends did too, because they came and bought your stickers and they still talk yes. about you. <laughs> oh, it's great. Yeah, I have, uh, I, I love that show. That was a very fun show. There was a dog. I don't remember if your friends are the ones with the dog. Yes, so that was the Gateway Guardians Pet Shelter. So for those of you, obviously, who are not here in Missouri, what we did was every time there was a show, they would bring a dog to adopt to kind of show the shelter off. And so it's a very cool show because you've got like cool drinks. And then even if you don't drink, like there's just all these options at the bar. And then you have like the dog and you got the people and everybody's really excited. And then, like I said, my friends Lily and Bill, shout out to them. They were like, oh, we really like that Jay guy. And we bought of stickers. <laughs> I was like, good. And then you joined me and some other people at the barbecue spot where we also did a show yeah. too as well. And I remembered what I liked about us was that you and I both, because I was raised Italian Catholic, you came from like a Christian background. So we're both just like talking about our religion while people are just like eating wings and doing Mm -hmm. sauces. And like there was at one time where 
I don't even know what I said this far. I was like, give it up for Jesus. And you like came right behind and picked up right after me. And I was like, I'm down with this guy. This is going to work out. I'm, <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, which kind of brings me to your upbringing. So, and then we'll get into your album as well. But, you know, you are from Texas, if I'm correct mm-hmm. with my research. Uh, yes. How did we get from the uh, Texas Christian upbringing to being, you know, a roast battle comic out in L.A., which, by the way, you're also really good at, too. So oh, you're just good at a lot of things, Jay. How do you how do you do it? How, how does this all work out? <laughs> uh, I've well, so I grew up. Yeah, I go into church all the time in Texas, uh, outside of Dallas, mostly. And then I went to college out of state in North Carolina. That's okay. where I started comedy also. Um, and I wanted to get away from Texas just because I didn't want to go to college somewhere where my parents could drop in on me unexpected. Like yeah. I, I, I could have gone closer, could have gone somewhere like, you know, TCU, which is in Fort Worth or like SMU in Dallas or even like UT in Austin. But all those places are a very short drive. I, if I, and I knew my mom's the kind of mom where she's going to come and, and barge in on me unexpectedly, <laughs> unannounced. And I would much rather have to get some confirmation of like, all right, we're going to make plans to hang out. Right. So, well, my mom's the same way. So I, I yeah. get it. They probably would get along super well. <laughs> probably would. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so North Carolina was the move. And I started doing stand up out there. When I graduated, I had a film degree, so I was like, all right, well, I should go somewhere where day job-wise I can work in film production or TV production. So it was either L.A. or New York. I had been to L.A. and knew that there was more of a place out there for, like, PA jobs. Sure. As far as I knew, anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went out there. And then I'd never look back. Like, I remember that after I graduated, I went to – I went back to visit my folks – I worked at Bonnaroo. Okay. I drove back home. I worked at a summer camp. And then I drove back home. I turned 22. And then I drove out to L.A. like three days after my 22nd birthday. Oh, my God. And then you just never looked back. I love that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and I just turned 30 and hit my five, uh, my eight-year anniversary here living in L.A. Uh, you know, a couple days after that. Oh, my God. No, I, I'm actually about to be 30 this year, too. How does it feel? The same. There's a little <laughs> bit more like you feel more pain. Like I, I think um, I have not spent a day since I turned 30 not being in pain somewhere on my body. But hey, it, yep. you, you just roll with the punches. Oh, absolutely. I made, because you remember my boyfriend, Jimmy, we did yoga together the other night because he's like, I've been experiencing pain. I was like, you know what? Me too. So I live in a loft. So what I did was, since you can't really like go to yoga, there's like this like yoga with Adrian YouTube account. I love yoga with Adrian. Exactly. I'm like, I love that I got so excited. My earphones almost fell off, but I pulled (laughs) that up and we did like the ab one, which was, she really kicked our asses. We'll just put it that way. Adrian's intense. I remember I started doing yoga with Adrian a while, even before the pandemic hit, mm-hmm. before Sames. you couldn't go places. And my girlfriend would like, she would come, this is before we lived together, and she would see me like doing yoga with Adrian. She's like, who's this Adrian chick that like he's doing <laughs> the yoga Jimmy with? And said, was, yeah. <laughs> and then, but then she did one and now she has the same uh, 
crush on Adrian that I did. See, exactly. It's like a couple, like you literally, that's how I am with Jimmy. Now he's like, okay, I get it. Like I get the attraction. I get why she's got all these subscribers. He Mm -hmm. was laughing because she like, her dog Benji is also in it too. Ah, Benji. Oh yeah. See, Benji's a staple. He's he's so sweet. (laughs) You don't need a yoga block if you got a yoga dog ready to sit there with you. See, that's maybe what I need. I just need a Benji. I wish I had time. You do. I love dogs. (laughs) We have, see, we have two cats. So whenever we do yoga, they're, well, that's the thing is the cats are great, but they're the complete opposite of Benji because Benji is so chill in the videos and he'll just like lie there. Our cats freak out and they try and, you know, sharpen their claws on the yoga mats. And then anytime we're doing something that's on the ground, they are just climbing all over us and just being, just being a nuisance. We can't do any poses just because they're like, oh, you're also a cat. I'm a cat. I can do that too. <laughs> they're like, hey, and Let me I mean, show they you how can. it's done. They're like, because they yeah. are cats. Like we were just, we went to Chattanooga to visit my best friend and her boyfriend and they have two cats and like, they are probably more agile than I'll ever be at their old age. So if they can do it, we can do it, Jay. It's going to be all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, I just have to say, so you're out in LA. Now, does your girlfriend do comedy as well? Or no. Is it? Okay. Cool. So she just helps out with the ceilings. I love that. That's also yes. cool. Yes. Yeah. Well, her dad is a carpenter. So she oh, cool. yeah. has always been somebody who's very, you know, good with building stuff and and she's got a good eye for design. She I mean, I'm sitting right in front of this bookshelf. Yes. You can't really tell it's a bookshelf just from behind. But she built that. And before she built it into a bookshelf, it was her old bed frame that oh, she took out. apart and then turned into a bookshelf. Okay, I'm going to have to talk to her because I got a bed frame that needs to turn into something, too. So oh, yeah. And out. she's a lunatic. She did it all with a handsaw and a screwdriver the first time when she made the bed frame. That's fantastic. I mean, I took yeah. stagecraft in college for my theater major, but... Who knows? (laughs) So, but uh, I'm really excited for you because you really have quite a resume when it comes to things that you've done. Um, What has been, you know, I'll let you kind of explain that because you do have a lot, you know, invested. But what I listened to, and we'll get into your album as well, you know, you do the roast battle thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that because you're like, I I wish that I could be a roaster and I've never been good at it. Like I'm like I can do stand up, but I know that I'm like nice. I'm like, oh my god, I just burned somebody and I I feel like I'm coming at them, but you're fantastic at it. How did we fall into this? <laughs> sort of by accident. I had when I first moved to LA, I had this friend of mine, uh, Frank Castillo, who mm-hmm. is still one of my best friends and he, I was working at this comedy club called Flappers at the time. He and I yes. both worked at the comedy store as door guys eventually, but we met before that when I was still working at Flappers. He came by one day and he was like, Hey, I've been hanging out at the store. They're doing this new thing on Tuesday nights where it's an open mic, but they do this roast battle thing in the middle of the open mic. And nice. it's really cool, and you should come check it out. And I was like, all right. Because, you know, I trusted Frank. So I went and started going to that open mic, and Roast Battle was just a segment that they did in the middle of the open mic. And what? Yeah, this was like six months after it had gotten started. So I started hanging out more and eventually got more involved with the show, and then I 
worked up the courage to do a roast battle for the first time a few months after I started hanging out. And then from there, I, it just kind of, I, I just fell in love with it because the thing I love most about roast battles, it's a joke writer showcase. And the thing that I've always loved about comedy is joke writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing that I have approached stand up from, from the ground up is just like, how can I write the best jokes and what's the best way I can make this more like intricate and crafted. Um, so being able to write jokes, I never considered myself somebody who would be like a roaster, but it's just joke writing. And it's just, you're just taking that mean angle and you're addressing somebody's faults and flaws and the stuff about them that like, you only can find out if you get to know somebody and and have a respect for them. Mm-hmm. So I just love the the craft behind Rose Battle. I, I love the way that you get to know people through doing Rose Battle. And some of my closest friends here to this day in Los Angeles are people in the Rose Battle community, even though we are not really even though we still can't really see each other it's all these people who are just like i respect them not only as humans because i have done deep research on them and know like a lot about their lives but also because i can tell that they're really strong writers and to me writing is the most important aspect of of any strong comic Mm -hmm. absolutely well that's like you know everything needs a foundation right and like when you're starting out comedy like that's what everybody always says especially people I've had on here because I always say you know what's the best advice that you can give out and everybody's like either just do it or keep writing like just write Mm -hmm. like even if it's just you know a sentence just put something together just an idea um but yeah I I really admired you about that and I think it's kind of cool how you broke that down where it doesn't seem as intimidating now that you've said it I know that sounds like a little like weird and phrasing, but you're just like, oh, you just got to like break it down and find these different things in it. So that's really cool, Jay. Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It really is like, it's not about necessarily like being a mean person by any Mm -hmm. means. Like I, I, I think it's just about being willing to take the deep dives and say the jokes that are the risky jokes. Sure. And certainly, as you know, if you listen to the album, I've got a roast battle on there and I've got some other roast battle jokes is sort of like, I guess, an Easter egg on that track right beforehand, the sketch that introduces the roast battle segment. All of the all of the things that the principal on that sketch says are like real roast battle jokes that I did about people. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, I'm, you know, you got to be creative and mean and funny. And I think that if you don't approach it from writing first, then you're just not going to be an effective battler. But that's the cool thing too, is like, I think when I was first starting out as a comedian, I had had a little experience as like, you know, a theater kid doing a couple acting things here and there and like speech and debate and stuff. But I always felt like my performance skills were not as strong as my writing. So I focused on the writing for such a long time. Then I sort of had to find the counterbalance and work on my performance. And, and you know, that's that's always the, like, the growth process for me. It's like, how can I go from the writing? Okay, I got this to here. All right, let's get my performance leveled up to there. Okay, and then now we have to go back and see what I can keep topping. And, and, and just, you know, it's, it's a constant attempt to improve at least something um but the writing always came first because i just you know i liked that even if i wasn't doing roast battle 
Yeah. Well, that's what uh, you are speaking my language because I was a theater kid too, obviously. Surprise. But I felt the same way. I mean, no one's surprised at all. But and for a long time before I started doing stand up, I would be at home just like writing things and like watching people and It's just like, I know how you feel because you're like, all right, I'm just going to keep writing and focusing because I didn't feel like my performance value was as strong either. But isn't it kind of interesting how it all comes into balance after a while? Once you start doing so much, you're like, okay, let me see if I can match it here. And then suddenly Mm -hmm. it all comes together, which it definitely did for you because I listened to your comedy album, Good Guy with a Gun. I was listening to it. I was at work and I was wondering if you were in theater. And we may have talked about this too the last time I saw you, but- What I loved about it was your album incorporated everything. Like there was theatrics, there were sketches. I learned about you before you were even really talking on the album. And then in the Mm -hmm. middle of the album, there's a roast battle. And then like you're going through it all. So how did we, I guess like what I'm saying is, is, what what's your process into kind of getting that structure into the album? Because I thought the storytelling of each bit went so well. Like I felt like I could follow along. I was right there with you. Uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit what you want us to know about the album and some probably some of your favorite parts about it? Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, like any first album, the the material on there is a culmination of what I've been doing as a stand-up for at the time I recorded it the past nine years. And I I when I first had the idea of like, you know what, I'm I'm finally ready to do an album. I was starting to get tired of the material that I had done on the album, but I didn't want it to just like go away. I was like, I really like these jokes enough that I'm gonna put them down and and put them out into the universe. Right. So that way they're not dead forever. There, there's a record. Mm-hmm. So I started working out the album. I got accepted to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And congratulations. Yeah, That's thank awesome. Thank you. It was very fun. And I ran the album material a, a bunch of times before that in as long of chunks as I could around Los Angeles and then outside of L.A. in, in headlining sets. And then Edinburgh Fringe, you're performing your full hour show pretty much every single day for just about 30 days. Yeah, that's how that's for those of you who aren't aware, the Fringe Festival is like that, where like you're not really sure what time things are going to when you get scheduled, but it could be at different times of the day. But that what Mm. practice to be able to be ready to record your album. (laughs) And I had well, the, the craziest thing was I when I got accepted, they gave me a time slot that was at uh, like 11.45 p.m. every single night. Oh, wow. And I was in a part of town where there wasn't a lot of foot traffic at that time of night. So my shows were very lightly attended. I think I had, on average, maybe 10 people in the audience every single night in this room that held 60. And so when you have a crowd that's that small, it gets very easy to tell what jokes are working and what jokes are not working. Um, And I had to do, when I first got there, of course, I had this idea of like, all right, this is what the hour is going to look like structurally. These jokes are going to go here. That all changed over the course of me being at Edinburgh Fringe, just, you know, 
partly a combination of like I wound up having jokes that didn't make sense in the flow, and so I just talked. Uh, I took those out of the equation. There were some jokes that had references that didn't make sense to an international crowd. So I was like, all right, I'm going to just pull these out. Like they don't need to know about Texas related football jokes. I love those <laughs> jokes, but, but uh, Brits aren't going to understand those. Let's save those for later. Let's save those for when I'm back stateside. Um, and then I came back to LA and recorded the actual standup portion of it. Like a week after I'd gotten back from being at the festival. So everything was like tight, sharp, honed, ready to go. And then after that, I talked to my producer, uh, this guy, DJ Coach T, who's the DJ for Roast Battle, and he's produced other great comedy albums, uh, Grammy-nominated for producing Chris Rock's latest comedy album. Awesome. Nice. Yes. And he's a good friend. He's a great, great producer. And he and I talked like, all right, so there's clearly an arc to the album narratively. And I think that comes from just like, if it's the first album, right, it's all the material, but it's an introduction to me. So you need to know, hey, these are the stories that I think are worth telling. And these are the jokes and points of view that I think are worth mm-hmm. you hearing and knowing what, you, knowing what you're going to get when you hear J-Light comedy. So we were like, all right, let's work on sketches that add to that narrative arc and figure out where we can incorporate some sort of a roast or roast battle because that's such an important part of your growth as a comic. I feel like it would make sense to have it on there. And it's not really something that's happening with comedy albums at all, really. Mm -hmm. And so we worked on, over the next couple months after that, wrote the sketches, recorded them with the the extra voices you hear on the album, Sean O'Connor, Gene Whitney, uh, Quincy Weekly, we had Nicole Buchanan, who's another good friend, set up the roast battle with her, did the battle. And then after that, Coach mixed it all together and threw in the beats, and he, he ran some stuff by me and sent me the cuts as they went along. And and yeah, and then early this year, it was all packaged together in the, in the final good guy with a gun form. Yeah, I felt like, and that was, I, he was completely correct. I love the idea that you included the roast battle because it's just, I relate that to you now. So when you put it in, I was like, oh, yay, it's Jay. Like, I was so excited. And then I was even more pumped because I remembered your Four loco joke from the last time you were here. Uh, yes. So when I was like, oh, yes, he kept that in here. And now I'm seeing it everywhere on social media. I'm like going back. Like, it definitely takes me back to when I first had a Four loco, And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. But uh, how is, you know, you hit number one. So obviously. Yep. It's been cool. very well received. But um, I was about to say, like, how do you feel now that it's completed? Are you thinking about doing another one? Are you taking a break right now? You know, what do we see in the uh, recording when I look on Spotify? What am I going to look up now? <laughs> well, I mean, the stand up is now that shows are starting to come back in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I've been doing some stand up. Okay. And I'm starting to find that the material that I had right before COVID hit. Mm-hmm. isn't really what I feel like doing anymore. Right. So some of that stuff may stick around. Some of it may just go into the back burner for when things feel a little bit more normal again, and maybe I'll revisit it. But 
now it's I, I just started doing a new outdoor show here that we're going to be doing every other week starting cool. October 1st. And so basically that's just going to be the lab for like until things are back to some more <laughs> semblance of normalcy and I can go like work it out in clubs. Exactly. Um, I'll just be doing it outdoor in this parking lot in Burbank for the yeah. next several months but it's time it's a chance for me to like figure out and develop stuff again and you know i spent most of this time not performing even on zoom shows i was doing one show that i still do where it's this show that's not even a stand-up show my buddy ricardo uh feliciano and i do the show for the pack theater out here where we're playing characters trying to sell stuff on eBay and like <laughs> helping give people advice on how to sell stuff on eBay. And then it became this weird, like twin peaksy David Lynchy, like multiple timelines, multiple realities <laughs> universe. And it just like, i never would have considered doing a show like that before COVID hit, but now it's just, like a chance to be weird so I'm like, all right, yeah, I still have that. And then maybe we'll see if I can incorporate some of the weirdness that I like from that into stand-up. Oh, my God. I was going to say, where do you guys do this show? Because this sounds something I would totally watch. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's called Power Selling 101. It's nice. on <laughs> the Pack Theater's Twitch channel. So twitch.tv slash Pack Theater. And it's every Wednesday at 9 p.m. Pacific. But they keep a replay up so you can check it out. And, uh, yeah, we're getting a YouTube channel for it, too. So if you search Power Selling on YouTube, you'll be able to find us Done. pretty soon. Maybe I'll get some tips out of it. I got to learn how to power sell some things. So here we go. This is going to be We're great. here to help. We're here. Oh, I love it. Okay, so I've got, like, something to add, which is great. So what I'll ask you, too, is, you know, back to when you were writing, there was something I was curious about, and it was something mm -hmm. that had to do – Try and remember what I read, but it was like Master Chef and Master Chef Junior. Oh yeah! So uh -huh. like you're probably not surprised, but I'm also a huge <laughs> fan. I mean, there's probably no surprises, Jay. Um, I'm a huge fan of like Master Chef and Master Chef Junior. I love. So I was like, How I mean, who is it? Who is it? <laughs> like, and I like Jimmy laughs at me all the time because I get so into it. I'm like, oh my god, who's gonna go home? And then like, you know, like I suddenly think I'm such an expert, right? Like I cannot cook anything that these people can make, and I'm just like, oh. They put a pistachio on that salmon and it just wasn't crusted, right? And then suddenly, like, I, I can't do shit, but, like, you know, it's fine. Uh. But uh, I just thought that was really cool that you were involved in that. Like, how, how did we get involved with the uh, food? I mean, I feel like you've touched everything. Four loco, food shows, roast battle. You're, like, all over the place in a good way, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I got involved. That's the thing is, like, all of this stuff as far as the writing jobs and stuff goes, I, when I moved out to LA, I thought for sure that I was like, all right, you know, something's going to work out, but I'm not going to, I'm, I'm totally going to be like working in PA gigs and then maybe stand up will pop off. And then that didn't happen. Cause I wound up working at the comedy store as a door guy for like five years. Mm -hmm. And then that led to me working as a, as a TV writer in a, line of work that I didn't even think had writers, which is mm -hmm. reality shows, game oh, shows. Yep. Mm -hmm. The uh, the reality competition umbrella, as yes. as I've learned it's called. Um, but I, I got a job like working on a game show pilot because somebody saw me do a stand-up set at the store and he was like, hey, I think you're really funny. We're putting together a writer's room for this pilot. 
And then that just kind of like that job led to I was working on BattleBots on the Discovery Channel for a couple <laughs> yeah. seasons. Uh-huh. Another great like show that who like I never thought that a show like that had writers. See, but I'm right. writing. Yeah. <laughs> but you write jokes for you write jokes about robots. And that's just great because it's just pumping out one liners and dumb puns. And I love that kind of stuff. Um, MasterChef, I got into because a friend of mine from BattleBots worked on MasterChef. Mm-hmm. And he was like, hey, we're looking for a new writer. Do you want to write? On MasterChef. And I was like, yeah, absolutely I do. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I did that last year, MasterChef and MasterChef Junior. And I I know that the new season of Junior is supposed to be airing sometime soon. I, I just – I literally was just pulling it up to check. <laughs> it's It was supposed to premiere in the fall. It got pushed back a little bit. Right. But mm-hmm. um, they – it's going to be coming out soon, the one I wrote. And then we were working on MasterChef at the beginning of the year. It's just a fun gig because you're just writing jokes and hanging out with Gordon Ramsay and other fun chefs. Oh, yeah. Trust me. I just admire, like, especially these kids that can, like, do stuff. I'm just like, oh, what was I doing at seven? I don't even know. And, like, these kids are like, oh, I made this filet mignon with, you know, I'm mm-hmm. like, what? So I was when There's, I read that, I was like, how cool is that, Jay? But anyway, go ahead. It, Sorry. <laughs> it was the best. I mean, the best part about those jobs is is eating the food that they all cook because you get to it is again i'm on i get to walk out with the producers and and the hosts so i'm just hanging out and you have to taste all the food to see who's going to wind up going on and who's going home and i've gotten to eat some of the best like just the best meals i've ever had and we have this this amazing culinary team who makes all of the recipes beforehand just to test if it can be done in that certain amount of time that we give these home cooks. Mm -hmm. I remember one of my favorite days on MasterChef, we had a day, an episode of, uh, of last season where the home chefs walked out. There's this huge tray of cakes, like not even like, uh, like a table of, I think like 20 or 25 cakes. And they each had to pick a cake and had to remake that cake from scratch. But, of course, the culinary team, because they have to make all of these cakes for the stage to make them look to to have the chefs like pick one that they're going to be using. They had to test that they could make all of those cakes themselves in the allotted time that we gave these chefs. So they had two sets of cakes and they were like, well, we can't use one of these sets of cakes we're going to give it all away to the crew. So they wheeled, there's this, just this cake day where they're wheeling in carts full of cake into, into the craft services room. And everyone's just eating like, we had, you know, cla- red velvet cake, right? We had some fancy French, like gateau opera, which I'd never oh. even heard of, but it's, yeah. just like, it's so good. <laughs> uh, I gained probably 10 pounds that day, but I felt That's pretty good okay. about it. Oh my, yeah, as okay. you should feel good. It's all okay. I mean, like that's like a once in a lifetime opportunity to have a mm-hmm. cake you can't pronounce. Trust me, I used to work at a bakery a long time ago, so even though it's a different scenario, I do miss like even though you gain ten, but you're like this is the best ten pounds I'm gonna have for the rest of my life. Right. So, like, <laughs> this is, and to think it's all from just like telling jokes about getting caught jerking off by my mom and sent to sex ed <laughs> at my church. Getting to eat all these cakes came out of that. It's very weird. 
Yes. Isn't it amazing? And that's like the thing that I love about life sometimes, you know, how like there's so many random things that happen into it, but then somehow they all come like correlating back together and you're like, oh, and this is how I got good guy with the gun. Like it's just, it's the Mm -hmm. craziest thing. But um, what I'll ask you too is what has been with your album coming out, what has been one of the most rewarding things other than just having the album out itself? Like, have you kind of been, like, do you feel like you want more? Do you feel like you've accomplished what you wanted to? Or was there somebody that you met that you got some kind of um, validation from? Like, what do you feel out of the process of making one has been just rewarding to you? I think the biggest thing that I have, have, appreciated out of the album being released is just the reception it's gotten like i've had a lot of a lot of people hit me up after the album came out and they're like this is real this is really great and it's really you know it really showcases all the things that you can do as a comic um getting to release it through all things comedy which mm-hmm. is uh you know obviously R- bill burr and al magical are two two comics who i really respect and I, I'm glad that they were the ones who saw this. Um, the whole team over at ATC, you know, Mike Bertolina and crew, they were all like, yeah, this is great. And 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 we want to put it out under our name and yeah. say 800-pound yeah, gorilla. And it's just cool to see that, like, this wild dream that I had all, 10 years ago is finally like, oh, this is a real thing. Like having an album is it's a calling card. Like yes. there, there, the proof is in the pudding. To tie it back yes. to cooking references. Oh, I love it. it! I love it. But it exists. <laughs> like I can't. Uh, it's stuff that I can't take back. No one can take it away from me. I have this thing out, and it's like oh, okay. Whew, now I can breathe. Now I can like figure out what comes next. Which right. I got plenty of time to figure out because. <laughs> Who knows when the pandemic's going to end? Oh, my God. Isn't that the best part? You're like, now I have all this time to be creative. You know, like you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. But like, mm. that's why I wanted to reach out to you, just because, like I said, even when I met you, I, I thought that I could tell by the way. And I'm not just saying this because you came on my podcast. And again, like I said, I always appreciate people who want to catch up. And obviously, it's always good to see you. But I when I'm you were delivering your set. I just like, I don't know. I just had like a good feeling about you. I was like, like, this guy's got some serious work ethic. I can respect it. So like in a funny way, I wasn't even surprised you had an album. Like when I when it said like Jay Light comedy album or something, I was like, of course he's got one. Like he's a great comic. He's going to have an album. Like I, I wouldn't, I can't like see you and an album not like being in the same sentence. So mm. I am so excited for you. And like I said, I, I loved it. And like, take I'm an Italian Catholic. I came from a religious background. So if anybody's like me and they're like, oh, I need somebody to relate to, this is the album you have to listen to. I have Spotify premium. So I streamed it on there in my earphones and I was like on the treadmill and I was laughing. It was like, sometimes I don't even need music anymore. Like if I've got a good comedy album or a good comedy podcast or something. So thanks for getting me through my run. Uh- of course. <laughs> happy, to, happy to help. Uh, I, I hope that there's somebody out there like me, like you listening while they're tearing down popcorn ceilings in their uh, apartment right now. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I hope. They're casually tearing down their buildings. You know, they're just seeing what's going to happen mm-hmm. next. And that yep. one thing you should do. Breathing obviously- in asbestos dust. <laughs> oh, 
my God. I feel like I do that all the time now. Like I'm just like, because, you know, my boyfriend, he flips houses and stuff. So he's flipping the house he's in right now. And there was a point, well, I'll make you feel better. So you know how you're like ripping out ceilings? There was a while where, and I think your girlfriend will definitely appreciate this. He had to take out the ceiling so he could fix the elect. I say this like I'm pointing up to the ceiling, but he had to fix the electrics that were in it. And he had to walk on the ceiling, but he couldn't be on the ceiling, obviously, because you could fall through. So he had a balance on these two beams. So one day I came in and I was like, hey, Jim. And all I heard was like this hello from the ceiling, but it's enclosed. So I didn't know. (laughs) I'm like, where are you? And he's like, oh, I'm in the ceiling. And I started laughing. And then I look up and there's this gaping hole and there's just my boyfriend. And he's like, do the lights work? And I was like, they do, but are you okay? And it's just, oh my God. It was terrifying. It was like, it looked like a little crawl space. I was like, man, this is where we are at the pandemic now. We're in crawl spaces. We're putting Mm -hmm. up electricity. We're over in LA taking down popcorn ceilings and surviving wildfires. Like I, I, I don't... Oh man, it's a it's a wild time for sure. So best of luck on the ceilings. <laughs> same to, to same to you and same to Jimmy. Exactly. I don't do much. Like if he needs a tool, I'm like, oh here. I'm like you, where he's trying to teach me, and I'm just like, babe, I don't know what what we're doing, but I'm I'm gonna learn. So, um, but uh, what I'll ask you at the end here is for people who are interested because I'm sure they will let a lot of people obviously I interview a lot of comedians um Mm -hmm. I know you talked about writing and whatnot but is there any advice that you would give uh to comedians who are pursuing this because most of the time like you know I ask people who are kind of in like you know they've been out you know you've been LA out for eight years um you've had some experience what's kind of something that you would pass on to other comedians who are kind of pursuing the same passion that you are what I would say to the newer comics out there to the people who are figuring it out is to go on stage as much as you can perform as much as you can, but don't, don't let it become your life to the point where you don't have something to like look back on outside of doing stand up because there's there's certainly a point where like the grind is really important like i think that the grind of developing material and trying it out and honing it down is really really important but you also have to like give yourself a chance to breathe give yourself some space it's it's not the end of the world if you can't get up four times a day if you're if you're not having like new jokes to write about or or experiencing new things to write about so make sure that you give yourself time to like live a life a little bit and uh and the pandemic is a great time to do that because it's a perfect time to like not think about doing comedy because why would you right now anyway right take 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 a chance Tear down your ceiling. Yeah, right? tear down your ceiling. Make your old bed frame into something really cool, okay? Like, what, yeah. like, what are we doing? But I, I, it's so interesting you bring that up, Jay, because I am so guilty of that. And I think it just happens when you're in that hustle, right? And I hate to use that mm-hmm. word because everybody's like, grind, hustle. But it just happens when you start entering comedy and whatnot, and then you're totally right. Like, sometimes you're like, you got to breathe for a second, though. Like, right. Yeah. Because the thing about being 
a comic is you're just trying to convince an audience to believe you for a second. Like you're pulling a magic trick on them. You just want them to believe you and laugh and then clap. Mm-hmm. And you're going to, everyone's going to be able to do that in their own way. That's the whole point of, of performance is you figure out your own way to do it. But what makes you unique as a comic is like having your own point of view and talking about the stuff that happens to you and you know your the way you see the world and your point of view. So if you don't experience the world in a way that you can talk about it, then you're you're not going to be as good of a comic as you can be. Mm-hmm. I agree. Oh, and actually, sorry, one other quick yeah, thing. Go for it. Tell me. Yes. Um, this is something that I only recently started thinking about, uh, and really, and the album helped figure some of this out too is if you think about what you're doing on stage as like an extension of you, this is something that really helped me out is when I started thinking about, you know, I I stopped thinking about like what's on stage is like, that's the truest, purest form of me, right? Like, I don't think that that's the way I approach being on stage is like, I'm telling it like it is, right? Like, I think that what I'm doing on stage is basically just like, hey, this is what I think and I'm going to explain it in a funny way and I'm going to say it with jokes, but I'm not like trying to speak truth to power or anything necessarily. Right. Like I just want to be funny, but I also know that like the jokes that I have involve some, maybe some dark or some touchy subjects. So I had to figure out a way to be perceived on stage in a way that would enhance the performance like like look at this shirt that i'm wearing right now right like i'm wearing this this tie-dye heart shirt i i love clothes like this because wearing stuff like this or dressing up in like um like a button-down shirt or something like that wearing clothes like that help trick the audience into believing that they can like that i'm gonna be the sweet nice good guy and then I'm going to wallop them with some jokes about some maybe darker, touchier subjects that I'm going to I'm going to make you laugh at because I've got the skill to do that. But I want you to have the element of surprise added. So when I started thinking about like, OK, if I'm doing a total performance, right, like if I'm conceiving of myself in a certain way, then how do I look the part? And then how can the jokes like act as a, as a device to enhance that? So it's, it's something that I wish I'd thought about earlier, but like if you're, if you're trying to figure out like how to write the jokes, consider maybe how can you craft what you're doing on stage performance wise and even just down to like the kind of clothes you wear, how can that enhance the jokes that you're writing? Because they can work in tandem and they totally should. Yes. Oh, my. So that is so crazy that you brought this up because I was just talking about the clothes thing last night. (laughs) So, oh, my God. It's like you're on. I I, like not to be like the universe aligned us, but it totally did because I was totally did. It did. Oh, man. Oh, my gosh. I mean, the ceilings, (laughs) the alignment. I can't handle it. But no, I was doing Adrian. It's all there. Yoga with Adrian. It is literally all there. I mean, the the religion. Listen, I was doing an open mic, right? And I know this is going to sound like, this is going to sound really fucking stupid, but here we go. So 
I like I did these two guest sets and like welcome to comedy. I was doing guest sets over the weekend and I was like, boom, I did really great on this. Boom. And then I did the open mic and I was like, eh, and it's an open mic. So you know how it is. Like you're working shit out anyway. Right. Sometimes you're going to be good. Sometimes you're not. And like, I know this is going to sound weird, but I had this green jumpsuit on and I was like, no, this is like not like it's an extension of yourself. And I was like, this is not relating to like who I am. Like, I, I mean, I'm a little dressed up now because I came from my day job, but I like, literally, I, and I also wanted to look a little bit more professional for this podcast, but when I'm telling jokes, I feel the most comfortable and like my jeans, like my leather jacket, I feel like I'm more relatable with people. And it's like mm-hmm. the strangest thing because people are like, oh, wow, like she's super nice. But then like, you know, it's just like what you said. I'm not like, you know, I'm not, I don't know. I'm trying to explain this without like rambling, but Long story short, like, I just feel like I just relate better to people because people are like, oh, like, she leads a life. Like, she understands real life. Like, she's not just, like, Mm -hmm. this, like, you know, this, like, cookie-cutter face that came from this, like, Italian Catholic family. Like, she's experienced some shit. And I just felt, like, in my jumpsuit, and I know people are like, that's so stupid. But I was like, this isn't an extension of me. Like, I need to, like, be me and who I am. And that's a... So it's really interesting that you brought that up. But, I mean, hey, I love the tie-dye shirt, so it works. There you go. I mean, this is the this is the one. But that's the thing too. It's like I have this jacket that I love wearing when it's cold out. It's this cool. It's like a leather jacket that's got yes. padded, so it's nice. It's warm mm-hmm. and it's super cool. Like my girlfriend's dad made it. He or he didn't make the jacket, nice. but he he took this jacket. It's like this vintage leather jacket, and he painted. Uh, uh, a still from an old uh, uh, Donald Duck cartoon on the back. What? And it's got like Donald Duck with these crazy, like he got, he just gotten hit in the head or something. So the eyes are all spirally and it's a really cool jacket. And I love wearing it because it feels like me, right? Where it's a little bit like, it's got like a goofiness to it, Mm -hmm. but it's, I learned because I performed wearing it. And then I had other people talk to me after I performed wearing it. It's too cool to be worn on stage by me. Oh, because of the jokes I talk about. Yes. Like nobody wants to hear the jokes that come out of my mouth with me wearing a jacket that looks like something that Dennis Hopper might wear (laughs) in Easy Rider. Doesn't work. Yes. Oh my God. That will see. I had a joke about plan B and here I am in like this nice jumpsuit. And I was like, I don't look like anybody that's taking plan B right now. I look like I sell insurance. Like I just, it was not like, it just didn't, I don't know. Like not that I'm saying that everybody that wears a leather jacket or something is obviously, you know, taking plan B, but you know what I mean? Like it just, I don't know. I felt like if you're wearing a leather jacket, you're more likely to have taken plan B. (laughs) That's just, that's just how it goes. Apparently, especially if you're me. So it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) But I get it. Like I, I've had that too, where some people, Like when I first started doing comedy, I always like, I would always like wear like higher, I don't even know. Like I would just wear these different outfits. And that's the same thing that happened where somebody came up to me and was like, I'm not trying to be critical. Like you look beautiful, but it's just not matching up the same way. And I was like, oh. And then once I kind of like just was myself rather than feeling like I had to dress up for people, just Mm -hmm. amazing when you're yourself in comedy, how it gets received. (laughs) Like, And that's the thing. It's like, it's not even necessarily about like, being yourself 
to the degree that like if you want to if you're telling jokes and you are being a character like a caricature yes. of yourself mm-hmm. in a way then lean into that too yes right like look at natasha Legero or anthony jeselnik like oh i love him natasha too. carefully curates what she wears oh yeah and how she acts on stage to give off a certain vibe jeselnik same thing yes you know both of them off stage very different than they are on stage but the look that they cultivate mm-hmm. helps the performance that oh. they give. Mm-hmm. That's the most important thing. Yes. That you don't even really like think about until way, way after you've gotten started and had some time under your belt. Yeah. And it's also the kind of thing that like it, it's easy to forget because unless somebody tells you about it, you're mm-hmm. likely not going to think about it. Yes. No. Until somebody comes up to you, you're like, wait, what? I don't know. I, I don't understand. Like it's uh, that. No, it's so true. I, I, I don't know. I just, I was just talking about this last night and I just like, can't it's believe crazy. that you're talking about it too. <laughs> I know. I like, people are going to watch this video and be we'll like, she up. is just in shock. And I'm like, I really am. <laughs> like, I just, I don't know, but we are, I was like, you're, I'm in the Midwest. You're on the West coast, but like somehow we made it work and I like it. Mm-hmm. But uh, let me ask you, first of all, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Happy um, to be here. Thanks for uh, having me. Of course. If you ever come home, when things maybe go back to normal, we have some kind of, you know, union of seeing people. If you ever come to Missouri, let me know. Otherwise, I'm planning on coming to L.A. sometime in the future and I'll hit you up. But um why don't you tell us, since we're not in L.A. with you right now, where we can follow your comedy career, just you in general, your album. Just tell us all. Of course. <laughs> all so, things J-Light. <laughs> uh, you can see me mostly at the Ace Hardware in South Pasadena right now. I'm going to be making a lot of trips there. Uh, you can find me at Diet J on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, if you are... In LA, jlightcomedy.com for show dates for live shows, and I'm I'm gonna be posting my uh, any Twitch shows or live stream shows that I do there too. Since I guess now that's a thing that's gonna be part of comedy for yeah. who knows how long. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then uh, yeah, jlightcomedy.com, uh, Diet J, and uh, go check out the album. It's available wherever you get your music. Good guy with a gun. And uh, listen to my podcast, Blockbusting, if you <gasps> want to hear people talk about movies they hate and why they hate them. Yes. Oh, my God. Because I remember you were telling me about your podcast, and I've been like meaning to listen to it. So that's going to be on my agenda. After this is done, I'm going to casually listen to Blockbusting because that sounds like up my alley. And I'm going to watch you try to sell me some eBay stuff. But, of course. Um, oh, of course. And please, like, I mean, I know I'm, you know, Jay's with me right now, technically, but his album is really great. Please listen to it. You're going to laugh your ass off. You're going to be impressed by roast battles. There's sketches, especially if you're, you know, you got a theater background like me, you're going to love it. And then just remember, casually subscribe to the podcast. I interview different comedians, musicians, entertainers every week. And you can do that on all streaming services, YouTube, like us, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, you name it. Uh, but Jay, what are you going to do now that we're done with our episode? We always say that. What are you going to casually do? <laughs> oh, I'm probably going to go casually finish eating a uh, sub sandwich that nice. I have in my fridge. Nice. 
nice. Yes. Sounds pretty good. I got to get a sandwich too. I'm hungry. (laughs) It's like dinner time over here. It's like 7-12. How what time is it in California right now? 5-12. Okay, cool. So we're around the same, you know, a couple of hour difference, but we're close. eh, We're close enough, but I really appreciate it. Stay safe and I will talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Molly. Bye.